0: And Welcome to 99 Yards Podcast, I'm your host Duncan Terry and this week I'm joined by Stuart Taylor and Chris Lawton. How's things?
1: Yeah, good thanks Duncan, Uh, been a a good day, uh, day off work, been sitting outside having some beers with my dad so I really can't complain.
2: Yeah, I'm good too, thank you Duncan, happy with life, looking forward to the NFL season and a little bit gutted about the CFL season.
0: I bet, I bet. We're nearly there though. (laughs) Following on from last week, we are going to complete our look at the AFC South with the Indianapolis Colts and Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll also be debating the league's best safety tandems. But first, let's kick things off with a conversation with Colts reporter Kevin Bowen. So welcome to the 99 Yards podcast. Kevin Bowen, how's things? Doing great, Duncan. Things are good. Football's
3: back, so no complaints here.
0: (laughs) We can't argue with that, definitely. It's been a long, long time. Uh, now, you've been to the Colts camp, haven't you? How are the players coping with, with the new normal, as they're calling it?
3: You know, I, I, when I'm out there, it seems business as usual. I mean, certainly when you drive into the facility, it's a little weird seeing all the testing sites kind of set up and whatnot. And, you know, coaches and masks and trainers and masks it, it is a little bit weird. But when that ball gets snapped, it's 11 on 11. Pads are clanging. And it, it, it's probably the most normal, honestly, I felt. Since about March, um, so <laughs> knock on wood, the NFL's had really strong testing numbers so far, and hopefully that can uh, that can keep it up here through um, you know the month of January and into February, I guess, for the
2: Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The re- regime looks strict, and I-, I think it's all positive. Um, Normally I'd start with a look at last season, but but let's start with Andrew Luck because uh, and no disrespect to him, you know, has to do the right thing for himself. Um, but but that really ripped the heart from the team, just as they were putting together a challenging roster, didn't it?
3: Yeah, that's certainly an understatement. You know, we're approaching the one-year anniversary, if you want to call it that, of Andrew Luck um, shockingly deciding to retire from the NFL. And I mean, it seemed like he was approaching his prime, which I think was so shocking to so many people. Of you know, just had comeback player of the year in the 2018 season, loved playing for Frank Reich, his first year playing for more of an offensive minded coach, finally had this offensive line in place in front of them. And, you know, how many quarterbacks, you know, enter their prime, you know, into their thirties, certainly Peyton Manning did. So it seemed like he was following, you know, kind of along that path. The Colts were back in the playoffs, you know, won a road playoff game, all of those things. And then, you know, two weeks before the start of the season, he, he he just stuns the entire NFL. So it was a crushing blow. Um, you know, Colts have obviously scrambled a little bit in trying to find a quarterback. And uh, Philip Rivers will be the short-time fix here in uh, 2020.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just, just last season, they got a good quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. Uh, end of the season, seven and nine. Uh, maybe not a completely fair reflection. I thought maybe they are a bit better than that. Do, do you think they should have done a little better?
3: Yeah, you know, they had some big-time kicking issues, really struggled. Adam Vinatieri, you know, was banged up and just, you know, not the same kicker they used to be. Unfortunately, father time catches up to everyone. So, um, you know, I thought they could have easily won a couple more games. Uh, you know, their, their their passing offense wasn't great. The defense struggled a little bit. So um, I thought they needed to make a change of quarterback. I thought Jacoby Verset just, yeah, just isn't that starting caliber guy for a team that has playoff aspirations. Very good backup, you know, nice spot starter. Uh, but I thought it was time to uh, to, to make some changes.
0: Yeah, because it, cause it's a good roster on the whole. And now, obviously, Philip Re- Philip Rivers leads the team. Is he the missing piece of the Jigsaw? You
3: know, I think, I think he'd be the missing piece to get this team
0: back into the playoffs. You know, I, I'm
3: still not sold on, you know, is he top five, top ten quarterback sort of thing in the NFL. He really struggled last season with the Chargers, 20 interceptions. And, you know, didn't play behind a great offensive line. So I think that's something that you have to have to make sure that that you mentioned he'll play behind a much better offensive line here in Indianapolis. Um, so I think he, he, he's an improvement. I think the Colts should be in the playoffs, especially with, you know, one more team getting into the playoffs this season. Uh, but again, this is a 39 year old quarterback on a one-year deal or will turn 39 this year. So you just have to acknowledge that that long-term quarterback question, which this franchise is really not had to worry about too much. It's certainly hanging over the, um, this, this entire franchise.
0: Yeah. But then, you know, as you mentioned, the the offense as a whole is pretty interesting. The offensive line, really solid. They've got stars like Nelson and Kelly. But then the skill positions, I mean, I I like Mack and Hilton. I think they're really talented players. But they really need some young players to fulfill their potential, don't they?
3: They definitely do. And obviously, in the draft, I mean, going out and spending the 34th overall pick on Michael Pittman. And then, I think, 41, maybe, they took Jonathan Taylor, trading up for him. I mean, that's, you know, that's that. That's like us playing a video game, trying to build the team, you know, going out and, and drafting a wide out and drafting a, um, a running back. So they needed a little bit more explosive playmaking. Taylor, I think, provides more of that. Pittman gives you a bigger body. 6'4", 220. His dad played in the NFL for a decade, he was a running back for the Buccaneers. Michael Pittman, the same, same name. Um, but yeah, I think it was key to kind of diversifying that skill group uh, and getting a little bit more of Here's the ball. You go make a play. And I think that's what, like you said, you know, Paris Campbell, I think is another name to mention as a second round pick from two years ago. He's got to stay healthy. He's got some big playability um, and certainly Taylor does as well. So um, I, I think it was really key to definitely make some kind of longer term views of the offensive skill group. Uh, because the offensive line is a great starting point but you need some guys that can you know take the ball and and obviously do a lot with it on their own yards after catch and and after contact as well
0: Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with having some some younger players to develop and then you can you know once Philip Rivers is done you know you can drop a new quarterback in and they're ready to go you know it seems to be the way forward these days
3: definitely yeah I, I think there is kind of a Passing of the torch, if you will. You know, T. Y. Hilton unfortunately isn't getting any younger. He's in a contract year at the age of 30 and has, you know, battled a couple injuries over the past few years. So I think it was key to kind of make sure, okay, this could be the new age of wideout. You know, even a running back, even though Marlon Mack isn't very old. You know, this can be kind of, uh, you know, a, a passing of the torch there as well.
0: Yeah, And, of course, the new quarterback is uh, there's, there's Jacob Eason uh, from the draft. Um, I, I follow Washington a little. I thought he looked really good. Um, do you, have you seen much of him in camp? Do you think he could be next man up?
3: You know, unfortunately, he's, he's kind of run with the third team, and there hasn't been a lot of third-team reps yet. I will say that watching him throw when he does, I mean, you talk about a well-built individual to play the quarterback position. I mean, this is a guy that he looks the part. I mean, big arm. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's one-on-ones or seven-on-seven, I mean, it's the ball just comes out of his, his right arm a little bit different than, than anybody else. And, you know, uh, 10 years ago, he's probably going first round. He's the prototypical, you know, pocket passer that you think of. Some development is, is definitely needed. And you would hope Frank Reich is the perfect guy for that, considering his quarterback background. So I thought it was a really wise move that the Colts made, you know, drafting a quarterback. In the fourth round, a guy that has traits that you can't teach—you know, that that big arm, the big frame—can you know make some throws that just not every NFL quarterback can can make. And, and so now it's okay, develop him, learn under Phillip Rivers, get a better understanding of your system. No preseason games really hurts him, obviously. That kind of goes without saying, but especially for a guy that you know didn't play a whole lot in college, um, he is going to be kind of sw- swimming upstream a little bit.
0: Yeah, he's definitely got some tools, but he lacks that experience. Obviously, he sat that year, moving to colleges. But uh, I mean, uh, besides himself, Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, they're the big names in the draft. Was there? Is there? Are there any other names which excite you, who we might not be so familiar with?
3: Yeah, uh, they took Julian Blackman in the third round, of safety out of Utah, um, tore his ACL in the Pac-12 championship game last last December. Um, you know, if you're going to take a guy with a torn ACL. You obviously like him a whole lot. So I didn't think safety was a pressing, pressing need. But, you know, I, I still think that it's something to where this could be the future back in the secondary of getting a guy that played a little corner in college. You know, it's kind of a matchup driven league the pass happy NFL. The days of kind of having a thumper back there at safety are kind of gone. It's getting these more of these versatile safeties back there that can, you know, go slide into the slot. And, and, you know, match up in man coverage or something like that. So Blackman might not play until, you know, September or October, but he's he's definitely a name to watch as well.
0: Nice. I like it. I like it. Um, I mean, the defense on the whole, it's got some big name power like Buckner and Leonard, uh, but they appear a little short in other areas. Uh, is there anyone you can see coming through this year, some names we aren't so familiar with?
3: You know, Buckner certainly is the biggest one. I mean, he's a guy that when you're trading your 13th overall pick, you obviously have big plans for him and expect a whole lot out of him. So he's kind of a missing ingredient, you know, for this defense, because the three technique is so important um, as that kind of off ball defensive tackle to disrupt some things. We saw it in the Super Bowl with Buckner and then Chris Jones for the Chiefs. You know, besides him and Leonard, I think Kenny Moore is one of their better better defensive players. He's a slot corner um, you know, very instinctive, former undrafted free agent, not the biggest guy in the world, but I mean, just has a great knack to find a football. Um, so I think he's key. Malik Hooker at safety, you know, was a 15th overall pick back in 2017. This is a big year for him. You know, they drafted a safety, like I said, early, they didn't yeah. pick up Malik Hooker's fifth year option. So this one is big time for him to show up and, uh, and step up.
0: A linebacker, maybe Anthony Walker or or Bobby, gosh, how do you say his name? Okariki?
3: Yeah, Okariki. Yeah, yeah. um, I believe it's Nigerian descent. So yeah, both those guys, you know, in old days, three linebackers on the field at all times, the Colts would be great. They'd have one of the better linebacker cores in the league and they still do, but it is a little bit different. I think Walker's really reliable. I still think he'll play a good amount. Okariki is a uh, probably the more athletic of the two they have high hopes for him um you know it might be a little bit difficult to give him the type of playing time he deserves but still I would say linebacker probably is their best position group on the team when talking you know top end talent obviously with Leonard and then what you have uh, you know depth wise as well
0: yeah so so not names that not all of us have maybe familiar with but still really really strong I mean uh, all in all what are your expectations for the coming season You know,
3: I think it's a team that should compete to win the AFC South. You know, like we said, seven to nine last year, played a lot of close games both ways, even their wins and their losses. I don't think they're that far off. Finishing in the fourth quarter has got to be better. They really struggled there last year. Um, I look at the AFC South. I think Tennessee and Houston are in the same boat. I think they're, you know, capable of winning the division. Um, But all those teams should be in the mix for a wild card spot or something like that. But I think it's paramount for the Colts to get back in the playoffs. You know, they've only made the postseason once in the last, what is it, five years now since 2014. I think they've only made it one time, which is unusual, you know, for the last 20, 30 years of the Colts. So I think it's key to kind of get back there. And then you have this roster in place and then it's kind of, okay. go find that future quarterback.
0: Yeah, if they can hit the ground running with Philip Rivers, absolutely. Why not? He's a talented guy. Uh, So where can Colts fans in the UK find you and all the work you're doing at camp and everything?
3: Yeah, I appreciate that, Duncan. It's a K Bowen 1070 so it's K-B-O-W-E-N-1070 on Twitter, and then a 1075thefan.com. So I have a podcast as well called Kevin's Corner if you want to check that out. But, uh, yeah, we'll have coverage all through camp and certainly during the season as well.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us.
3: Yep. Have a good one, Duncan. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, Chris, how are you feeling about uh, Philip Rivers' Colts?
2: I'm quietly confident about the Colts coming into this season. I know Philip Rivers has had one of his worst seasons. He kind of had a bad couple of seasons, possibly, you could say. But the thing about Philip Rivers is he's not like a lot of quarterbacks in history. You know where you've seen them and they've been at a plateau. Really good, really, really, really good. Get to a certain age and drop off. If you look back over his career and you look about at his quarterback rating, he has a couple of up seasons, a couple of down seasons. Comes up, goes down, depending on what's around him. And in Indianapolis, I think he's in the right place because he's got a much better O line than he had last year in in LA. He's gonna have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield with him, and I'm a big fan of Jonathan Taylor. I thought he was great at Wisconsin, and uh, been watching a bit of him in training camp. He looks like the real deal to me. Uh, they're also saying that um paris campbell is looking good in camp now you've got to bear in mind every team says x is looking good in camp at this time of year everybody likes to hype up their team and get their fans excited so there is the possibility that they it could be that but i I think he does look quite good um and on the other side of the ball i think the colt's quite good as well i think Kyrie willis playing safety is underrated I mean, he was 12th in stops in 2019, but he only played 50% of the time of the other top, I think, 10 or 15 people in stops. So there's some talent there. He kind of got himself on the field halfway through the season. I think he'll start and I think he'll really add some depth to a D that's got good linebacking core, good coverage, solid D line. Um, so I think Philip Rose is in the right place, and I th- I'm quietly confident for the Colts this season.
0: How are you, South yourself,
1: yeah, um, I'd agree with a lot of what Chris said. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite optimistic that the Colts will, will have a good season. Um, Rivers looks like he's got a reasonable um, selection of wide receivers there. They've got a good mix with, um, as I say, Paris Campbell um, probably playing out the slot, a really quick, dynamic player. Um, they've got T.Y. Hilton, who's who's been a good receiver for many years now and always seems to be quite underrated and flies under the radar from a lot of people. They've added um, Michael Pittman, who's a much kind of bigger bodied um type receiver to kind of um throw into the mix as well. Um Jack Doyle at tight end um and they've added Trey Burton alongside him as well. Um so they've got they've got reasonable options um around the end zone as well for, for Rivers. Um and Taylor kind of adds to a nice mix in the backfield as well with, with Marlon Mack and um Naheem Hines coming in for some passing downs as well. So I I think and um, behind that offensive line they do have quite a lot of weapons that could hurt other teams yeah it's a bit like
0: uh we spoke about the texans having not the 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 best attacking options but having lots of them uh, and maybe the the colts are doing that you know they've got a lot of good running backs now they had heinz they had marlon mack who i really like and now they've got jonathan taylor who's a really dynamic rookie so you know maybe be the old uh run first offence while Philip Rivers gets used to the playbook because he doesn't have much of an off-season or or a pre-season to get used to it. So it's going to be really depend on how quick he he adjusts. Um, The defence, I was looking at the defence, and there's not many names that are very well known. But as I was talking to Kevin, they've got a very strong linebacking group with Okariki and Anthony Walker paired up with Darius Leonard. And look out for Rocky Arsene who is a very, very young and talented corner. Uh, he'll be in his second year, and he's pushing Xavier Rhodes all the way for for that second uh, cornerback slot, uh, although we'll probably see both of them on the field at the same time. So they're in a division which is competitive, but not the strongest. So, yeah, I think they'll be thereabouts.
1: Yeah, I mean, particularly with them, um, again, we've talked about it quite a few times recently, about the seven um playoff berths that I think they're definitely on the shout of, of of taking a playoff berth this year um I, I think in in their division, probably discounting Jacksonville, which we'll speak about later, probably all three of the teams would think they would have a chance in the playoffs out with out with Jacksonville in that division.
2: I would agree with that. I would say that all three teams in in the South have got a chance apart from jacksonville, but we'll we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a wide open AFC South. And of course, we'll move on to Jacksonville. Um, we spoke to Ryan Day from Big Cut Country uh, about their 2020 season. So let's hear what he had to say. So, Ryan Day, welcome to the 99 Yards Podcast. How's this year been treating you?
4: Well, um, if you've been keeping up with world news, um, this year has not been treating our country very kindly. Um, not most other countries, but our country, in particular, the US. is you know struggling with coronavirus and whatnot, but um, sports leagues like uh, MLB and MLS and uh, NFL are you know kind kind of ramping up um, and, and getting back into the swing of things with um, social distancing measures and, and whatnot. So we're trying to get back to normal, but it's, it's a long road ahead of us
0: yeah it's been big news, and, and we won't get into the politics of it all, of course, but uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously we're going to miss quite a bit of college football, and we're just grateful that the NFL's uh, looking like getting going, so that'd be really good.:
4: yeah, absolutely. Um, um, you know uh, the, the Jaguars are full steam ahead. they only have one one player on their on their COVID list, so it, it looks like they're really you know treating it seriously
0: and who who's that on the COVID list?
4: Um, it is, uh, an offensive lineman. I think his name's Charlie Pope. He's a, uh, I think he's an undrafted guy, you know, a, a backup tackle. So n- not, not like a yeah. superstar or a starter or anything like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking about the Jaguars, uh, we've got to start with the one big question above all others. Uh, where, where, where are your expectations for Gardner Minshew? You know what? I've been asked that question a lot, and it's it's hard to
4: pin down expectations for Gardner Minshew because the only the only history we have of him is last year when he played in an offense and uh, you know played for a team that was not built around him. He he came in for Nick Foles after you know eleven or twelve snaps um, in the in the first game of the season, and just. And just really kind of wheeled and dealed his way into um, the, the starting spot now and, and into Nick Foles being expendable um, you know, this past March with being traded to the Chicago Bears. So my expectations for Gardner are to, um, I think, clean up some of the little things. Um, he, he fumbled quite a bit. He had, um, he had a lot of fumbles in the pocket with uh, pass rushers you know, coming and being able to swat the ball away easily. Um, But he did some things really, really well. Uh, He didn't have a very high interception ratio. Um, I think he had three interceptions on the season. Um, He was very mobile. Um, He was making very good reads to his second, third, and fourth receiver um, by the middle of the season. So um, for me, my expectations for Gardner are to uh, uh, keep hold of the starter spot going into 2021. I think that looks like seven or eight wins um, uh, this year. And, um, and and I see him being less turnover prone when it comes to fumbles.
0: Yeah, I mean, no doubt he's got good technique, good footballing brain. And it's, it's just making that transition from college to NFL, isn't it? Because he was in a very, let's call it classic college offense in Washington State. So it's, it's a big, big change for him.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Washington State was with uh, Mike Leach there as the coach was was very, very heavy in terms of passing. Um, but before that, I mean, he played for, I think it was four different teams. He played for a community college team at one point in his college career. So he, he, I I don't think he stayed with a college more than, you know, a, a year at a time. So he never really settled into an offense. I think the Jaguars will actually be the first time he's been with a team longer than a year at a time. So it'll be interesting to see how he transitions from year one to year two.
0: Yeah, definitely. It'd be nice for him to be able to settle down a little bit. Um, obviously they've got the new offensive coordinator in Jay Gruden, a uh, former Washington head coach. How does that change things uh, for him and for the team?
4: So Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden is a West Coast offense, um, offensive coordinator to a T. He he loves timing routes. He loves quick passes. He loves getting Gardner in the shotgun. He loves having the quarterback. Um be a little bit more mobile, throw on the run. Um, He loves, you know, if it's first and 10, he loves having the quarterback throw for a a five or six yard pass. Like um, I think what you'll see is um, Gardner is going to throw more passes this year. Um, Last year he threw quite a bit, um, but he'll throw even more this year because that's just the kind of offense that, that Jay Gruden runs. And you're going to, I think, see better third down conversion rates. I think you're going to see a lot better red zone um, touchdown percentage um, from Gardner than he had last year because Jay Gruden does not, a lot of offensive coordinators will kind of you know, get more compact the closer they get to the end zone. The players will be closer and closer together to the ball, whereas the West Coast offense in Jay Gruden is going to continue to spread it out not just in the middle of the field, but towards the, towards the end zone. So you're going to see three, four receivers, uh, sets that are spread out. And I think that's going to benefit a guy like Gardner Minshew.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it'll be a real benefit for him. It'll be a real help. Um, he was a really good offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. It obviously led to a head coaching job. So you know, positive move, I think. Um, I was really pleased to see Juan Taylor uh, return to the offensive line. We we're talking about people who are out for a bit due to COVID. Um, it's a group I really like; some good players. But can they help uh, Leonard Fournette reach the high expectations everyone had of him through high school and college?
4: Yeah, I think that. I think that really the weakness with the Jaguars' offensive line is inside. Um, Brandon Linder is the the center, and he's he's very very good. He's a he's a fringe Pro Bowl player. He had a big extension a couple of years ago. Um, he's a solid guy. And then they have bookends at tackle, uh, and Cam, Cam Robinson and Juwan Taylor, who are very physical, very nasty guys. Um, and Jawan, he had his struggles his rookie year against really premier edge rushers, against really premier pass rushers. But um, those, those three positions are, are pretty good. It's really when you get into the guard position where you have Andrew Norwell and you have A.J. Kahn, who that's where their weakness is, and that's where Leonard Fournette really shines. When those guys do their job, um, Leonard Fournette's able to bust off you know, five, six, seven yards a run, but more often than not, they're not doing their job. And so that's where you see defenses stack the box, put more players along the line of scrimmage than normal, and get to Leonard Fournette. So really, Leonard Fournette's, Success in 2020 is going to be dependent on how well Andrew Norwell and AJ Khan do. Do
0: you, do you think he's got it in him, do you, or do you, are you worried he may be one of those, uh, you know, a, a, a sad bust? Unfortunately, you know, do you think he'd have about a better year?
4: I mean, if you look at Fournette's season last year, he was on pace to do quite a bit, and then you know things went downhill in the middle of the season and, and whatnot, but. Um, You look at games like the Titans game, you look at the Broncos game, I mean, he was running for 130, 140 yards a game in those games, plus being the primary pass catcher um, out of the backfield. So the Jaguars asked a lot of him last year, and he delivered, and it was really not not his implosion personally, but just the offense in general imploded when um, they went from Gardner Minshew to, to Nick Foles and then they try to get back on track with Gardner Minshew and they you know they were able to squeak out a couple of wins but it, it wasn't the same as if they just kept Gardner all year so I think that that Leonard can still be a very very good running back um, but I don't think he's going to produce like he did in in years past and that's not because of him that's because they brought in guys like Reichwell Armstead they drafted in the fifth round um last year uh Chris Thompson from Washington Uh, Jay Gruden loves Chris Thompson he's going to catch a lot of balls um they they have a running back by committee now and Leonard Fournette's just not going to get as many opportunities but I think you're going to see a better run game from the Jaguars if that makes sense
0: no that makes perfect sense Uh, I hope it works out for him he's a very talented player as he's coming through um, on the receivers, I had the, the the real pleasure of talking to DJ Shark uh, before last season, and we spoke about how new receivers really don't hit their stride until year two. And then he did just that. Do you think he can keep it going?
4: I do. I do. And most of that is a credit to the wide receivers coach, Keenan McCardell. And for anyone who's listening, um, if you followed the NFL back in the mid to late 1990s when the Jaguars started, they had two wide receivers, one Jimmy Smith. Who what is a you know a fringe Hall of Fame candidate? Um, but then there's Keenan McCardell, who actually finished his career with more catches and more yards and a Super Bowl ring, and um, he was on the team for I think seven or eight years, and now he's the wide receivers coach, and he has been very excited about DJ Chark ever since the night he got drafted. He's been very very excited, even through his rookie struggles, he's been very excited about Chark, um, and he's coached up Chark really well. I think that for Chark to get 1,000 yards with a guy like Gardner, who the offense is not built around him. Gardner admittedly does not know the playbook. But for Chark to still get a, you know some Pro Bowl votes, for him to get 1,000 yards, um, he had, I forget how many touchdowns, I want to say seven or eight touchdowns last year. Um, for him to produce like that in year two, I, I think speaks a lot about him. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Chark you know, walked away from this year with something like, you know, 1,200 yards, you know, eight or nine touchdowns, and a few more Pro Bowl uh, votes.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think he looks really talented. Um, On this year's draft, uh, the Jaguars made a, a heck of a lot of picks. Uh, of course, there's high expectation on the on two first-rounders, Um, but is there anyone else that you're hearing good things about?
4: Colin Johnson. He was a... He was either a fifth or a sixth-round draft pick. He he was a day-three draft pick out of Texas. He's a 6'6 wide receiver from Texas, and he has really impressed in training camp so far this year. Um, So we have a correspondent. His name is Demetrius Harvey. You can follow him at uh, Demetrius82 on Twitter. But he tweets out videos, pictures, observations, notes from every day of training camp so far this year. And today, uh, funny enough, Colin Johnson had a really, really good day. Um, He's starting to learn, I think, how to use his big frame to his advantage, especially in the red zone. And when you mix that with the speed um, that Colin Johnson has, because there are a lot of guys who might be like 6'5 or 6'6 in the NFL, but most of them are going to be offensive tackles, tight ends who are a little bit bigger. They can't run as fast. Colin Johnson is a fast dude. He's a wide receiver and um, and he still has that big frame, so I think that if you're looking outside of the the top picks for the Jaguars, um, Colin Johnson's going to be a guy to look out for.
0: Well, that's going to be a creative wide receiver and A lot of help for the quarterback.
4: Yeah, I mean, you got DJ Chark, you've got LaVisca, you've got um, Didi Westbrook, um, you've got Keelan Cole, who hasn't really featured in the last like year or two, but he's still a decent wide receiver. And then Colin Johnson rounding out the the, the top five. Um, you've got Dante. Like, I mean, it's like you you've got a you've got a good enough wide receivers group to help out a young guy like Gardner Minshew.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, but the loss of Josh Oliver at tight end, he looked great. You know, coming to, coming out of college, uh, didn't feature as much last year, but I thought he had a lot of potential. Um, which leaves Tyler Eifert, I guess, uh, as long as he can stay fit.
4: Yeah, Tyler Eifert, I mean, he's he's always, ever since they signed Eifert, he, he was tight in number one. Um, Josh Oliver, he looked talented and like he had a lot of upside um, coming out of San Jose State. But a lot of people are forgetting that James O'Shaughnessy is Gardner Minshew's favorite sort of uh, safety valve or outlet when he's in trouble. So in those first few games before James O'Shaughnessy was injured last year, Gardner Minshew was throwing him the ball a lot. Um, For your listeners who are maybe like familiar with more popular teams like the Dallas Cowboys, like Jason Witten was that for Tony Romo.
1: Yeah. And so
4: and so like James O'Shaughnessy, you know, is I think even before Josh Oliver was injured for the year today, um, James O'Shaughnessy was the tight end, too. And they were just hoping Josh Oliver could be a wild card that they could, you know, do something with in the offense. But. I think the top two tight ends are still there and still healthy.
0: Well, that'd be good. That'd be, that'd be really good uh, for, for for Minshew's development. You know, have his safety valve still there. That'd be great. Um, and then moving on to the defense, obviously, Ramsey's gone, uh, and is likely on his way too. Um, but the first round picks we mentioned, Chason and Henderson, look like, uh, you know, not straight-up replacements, but look, very similar positions. Can, can Saxonville make a comeback?
4: <laughs> I don't know if Saxonville's going to make a comeback because – Although, you know, uh, Chason is good, um, uh, we, we've lost more than we could have gained this offseason. I mean, Calais Campbell, we traded him to Baltimore. And I thought at this time last year, I thought Calais was he was done. He was spent. He was over the hill. And then he absolutely proved me wrong. I mean, he had nearly double digit sacks. He was a locker room mentor to a lot of young guys he was just he he was a really really good player and he will be a good player this year i think um and then when you think of we're likely going to lose um in as well um those are just two real key pieces that you cannot make up with mm-hmm. um chase on and josh allen um, on the edge you've got uh dwayne smoot who's going to be likely filling in as that second edge rusher but Saxonville is unfortunately not going to be back
0: for a little while. <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly Campbell's gonna be a huge loss. But but Taven Bryan may be making some 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 steps. Yeah, I mean, hopefully
4: we, we drafted him over Lamar Jackson. So you would you would hope that Taven Bryan would take take some big steps. Um I don't have a lot of hopes pinned up with Taven Bryan. I mean, if he can be a guy who gets a pressure or two a game, maybe gets a sack every couple of games and um, is able to get some, you know, tackles for losses against running backs. I'll be happy because so far he just, he hasn't really been as good as you would hope a first round draft pick would be. Um, So, uh, you know, unfortunately that's, that's kind of where we are, but given the rotation, um, if he's put in the right situation, I think that Taven Bryan can be a fine piece of, of of any defense
0: yeah i i i think he's got something to offer for sure um and then miles jack i, I just to check in on him really he fell in the draft shoot to worries about his long term fitness, but he's played great uh, how is he how's he getting on he's getting on great i mean the
4: the only thing that that has really stopped him so far this training camp is is some kind of like stomach bug, but he was back out there today. Um he's doing well and I think that um, the addition of uh, schobert who is our new middle linebacker is going to help miles jack play so much better in 2020 because last year we we wanted him to be the middle linebacker we wanted him to be the guy calling the plays directing the defense you know just a really cerebral position and miles jack is a really he's a really smart guy and he he knows a lot but But that's not really where he succeeds. He succeeds when you're able to put guys in place that give him space to then just be um, absolute havocs in in open space. So um, in 2017, where you saw Miles Jack flourish, you had Paul Puzlusny as the middle linebacker who was holding down the middle. He was a run stopper, and he he allowed Miles Jack to just not – not freelance, but, but kind of freelance. So any given play, you might see miles Jack be like, I'm going to take the running back in the flat, or, you know what? I'm going to take this tight end, or, you know what? I'm going to stay in the middle and just kind of take the left side while, uh, Paz takes the right side. And that sort of freelancing led to some of the most electric plays of 2017 interceptions, um, you know, a two, a tackle for a two yard loss by a running back, all, all those sorts of things. I think that by bringing in showbert, you're going to see Miles Jack get back to that 2017 form.
0: Yeah. No, that'd be good. I'm, I'm glad he's uh, staying fit. I'm, I'm glad he's proved everyone wrong because uh, he's a really, really good player. Um. So all in all, where, where are your expectations for the season ahead?
4: Yeah, I mean, all that said, I, <laughs> I think I, I, I start to get excited as I talk about the Jaguars because <laughs> they're my... They were my hometown team growing up. Um, my parents and I went to the very first game, September 3rd, 1995. Um, Jaguars versus Oilers. We lost 10-3 to 3, um, in Jacksonville. And, um, you know, I, I get excited about them because there's so much of my childhood and and memories wrapped up in them. But I I, I can't get so wrapped up that I'm like, oh, this is a team that's going to make – a deep playoff run, or this is a team that's going to push for the AFC South title. Like this is a team that is going to likely get six to eight wins, which is, which is pretty good. I mean, if you look up the last like 10 or 11 years, if this team finishes with seven wins, it'll be the second best finish since 2010. Um, Wow. And and, yeah, very sad. We've had 51 wins over the last uh, decade. We've averaged Five wins uh, a year, so we we would have been relegated by now if if American (laughs) sports uh, we'd be the League One Jacksonville Jaguars. But no, uh, you know we're we're a six to eight win team. Um, We need more pieces. We have a lot of picks again next year because of the the uh, Jalen Ramsey trade. Uh, We have we have uh, two first round picks next year as well. So um, I think that if Gardner Minshew can prove that he's worth sticking with Um, and you don't have to use all those picks you got from the Rams to trade up for a Trevor Lawrence or something like that I think you'll see the Jaguars uh, really make a turn in 2021 but this year this is about holding the line it's about um, the Jaguars being good enough it's about Gardner being good enough and um, and I expect them to do that I expect them to finish you know seven and nine, maybe eight and eight, and uh, and for Gardner to be the guy, for there to be more argument for him being the guy than against the than against him being the guy, um, and for them to move forward forward with him you know in the next few years.
0: yeah, well I hope so because they've got some exciting players, uh, especially the youngsters, and we get to see them a lot here in the UK so fingers crossed um, and so where can Jags fans find in the UK find you and what's coming up on big cat Country?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, um you can find us at bigcatcountry.com. Uh you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, bigcatcountry.com or big bigcatcountry uh on Twitter or Facebook. Um every day at practice, uh we're tweeting out videos, uh pictures, observations so you can uh find us there. Um you can you can keep up with with what's going on during the season in September. Um, We do a lot during the week. We do Q and A's with other team sites about, you know, how our opponent looks, uh, who are the key players there. We talk a lot about um, uh, betting, fantasy football. We do a lot on game day in terms of incorporating um, videos from uh, people at the stadium. Obviously there will be a lot fewer uh, of those because of uh, COVID, but, um we do a lot on game day in terms of live blogging and um just keeping up so if people want to learn more about the jacksonville jaguars they can go to bigcatcountry.com they can follow us on facebook and twitter Big Cat Country, and um uh, we would appreciate the follow
0: excellent well make sure everyone go and check that out uh ryan thank you very much and good luck for the season yeah thanks for having us so stuart we'll start with you this time uh can
1: gardner Minshew pull off more magic this year um, I'm a, maybe a bit more optimistic about Jacksonville than maybe some people are. I, I don't think they're going to set the world alight by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think with Gardner and Minshew, they're almost in a no-lose situation. Um, if Minshew plays extremely well um, and improves on the flashes that he saw last year, they could they could have a, a quarterback moving forward for for several years. And if he absolutely flames out, then they're going to be in a position to to draft um, a highly sought after quarterback. So I think there's nothing to really lose from the quarterback um, position in Jacksonville this year. Um, it's almost like a one-year addition for, for Minshew. Um, and I think getting rid of Nick Foles, although Nick Foles has done that, was probably a good move from that point of view, as it really gives them the opportunity to see what they have there um, with with some interesting options coming up in the draft next year. Um they have some players that I quite like as well in Jacksonville. I think they've started to try and rebuild some of the the defense with, with young players, um, particularly Josh Allen, who I thought was really really good last year, and his numbers were not hugely far off um, Nick Bosas, who ended up winning the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, they've added um, Kaylon Chason, who who's highly regarded coming out of LSU, and They've um, they drafted um, CJ Henderson very highly in the draft. I think it was was it ninth, I think, that Jacksonville um, drafted. So they look to be trying to rebuild what they had a couple of years ago again.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that we're only two years removed from Jacksonville pushing New England in the AFC Championship game. It, it feels to me like we're in the middle of a decade-long rebuild with Jacksonville. It's, it's an eternal rebuild since Dave Caldwell's been there as General Manager. I kind of if you take out twenty seventeen in the time that he's been in charge there they're twenty eight and eighty four uh it's not it's not inspiring me with great confidence. I can see this team getting four wins uh it may be up to five you know jacksonville fans can come back at me later this year and with freezing cold tape when they've won ten or something but i I don't see it um, Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew, he's he's fun, but i'm still i'm not convinced he's that good to be somebody to build your franchise round. They're, they're Rundy's part, and I don't feel... I know they've made some adjustments on the defence, but I don't feel like they've made enough to be competitive. So I'm really quite negative about Jacksonville, as you can probably tell. <laughs> I'm
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, I... Sorry, go on. No, no,
0: Cackle, Duncan, sorry. Um, I mean, I, I was kind of steered more towards what Stuart was saying, and it really depends on how Gardner Minshew does. Uh, and he's got his new offensive coordinator in Jay Gruden. Um, DJ Shark is fantastic he's a really great wide receiver Uh, they've also got Chris Conley, Diddy Westbrook and now rookie LaVisca Chenault you know I I don't know how you say his name so he's got the weapons there except at running back where Leonard Floyd uh, sorry uh, Leonard Fournette he's, he's not showing what he had in college or even high school but they've got a really, really strong offensive line. And I love some of the names in defence as well. Josh Allen was a favourite of mine, I think, he was when he was in Kentucky. But they're going to lose Yannick Ngokwe, it looks like, to, to a trade. Uh, so it's really going to depend on their rookies. like As you mentioned, Clavon Chasen and CJ Henderson at corner. See how they perform, um, see where they can hold things down. But yeah, it all revolves around that quarterback, doesn't it? And as you said, a no-lose situation. They either draft high or they do well. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly, don't get me wrong when I'm saying I'm optimistic about Jacksonville, I still think they'll probably be drafting within the top five next year. But um, almost all the mock drafts and things you have almost nailed on as Jacksonville being um, drafting at the number one position. They may well do because they'll have um, extra draft capital following the Jalen Ramsey trade to, to trade up to one. But I don't know if it's an absolute 100% nailed on that they will be drafting at number one. And... Um, they may do, but I think that there's, there's there's teams who are in and around that area that, that are probably will struggle, like Jacksonville will as well.
2: Yeah, uh, um, and yeah, they could push on and, and get a few wins, I suppose, but I, I just go back to the point, I feel like they're still in a rebuild mode, and they've been in a rebuild mode for a long time, apart from that one outlier of a year in 2017. Uh, and if I was a Jacksonville fan, I'd be thinking to myself, when is the consistency coming?
0: And when do those great players stop wanting to leave right
2: right exactly uh, and I
1: think this is probably um last chance to lean for um doug marone and, and caldwell and I would be surprised if they are both in Jacksonville next year,
0: possibly dark times ahead in Florida, huh? Thank you to both of you and a huge thanks to our two guests. We'll have more previews in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. next up is this week's travel and huddle session and do give us a feedback on Twitter at 99 yards. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about how the league has seen some often awesome safety tandems who have been incredibly influential on winning teams. You had Chancellor and Thomas, Paul Amalu and Mitchell, Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater going even further back. Now, Jamal Adams is heading to Seattle. So let's have a think about the top duos in the league right now. Stuart,
1: who is the top pairing for you? Um, I'm not sure I would say that they're the top paired by any stretch of imagination, but I'm probably going to speak about a duo that I think is really underrated and that I really enjoy watching more than probably who I think is the best, and that is the Denver Broncos duo of uh, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. Um, looking at their kind of um, grades from the, the PFF last year, Simmons was third and Jackson was ranked as the 13th. Um, current safeties uh, in coverage grades and um, Simmons they actually had valued using their, their metrics as the um, most valuable safety in the whole of the NFL and I know these metrics are not the be-all and end-all but it just shows that he's probably a quite an underrated safety Um he's really good uh, as a run defender he's a uh, Simmons a good tackler he's, he's good in coverage and um, he only second to Earl Thomas had the um, lowest a uh, pass coverage rating um, of all safeties in the league last year and Jackson um since he's come over from Houston where he played almost exclusively as a cornerback um has done uh, really really well since transitioning over to safety um, and and they've been a really effective duo for um, the Broncos they in, particularly in their division, where there's, they have to compete with the, um, the Raiders and the um, and the Chiefs, and they have to be really good in, in the passing game. And uh, it was an interesting stat that I found about them that um, Cream Jackson broke up the second most passes of all safeties in the league last year, and he was second only to Simmons. So they're obviously really good in pass defence as well. Um, particularly now as well with the Broncos having a really strong pass rush with Vaughan Miller on one side and Bradley Chubb on the other, um, and they've added Jarell Casey in the off season as well. I think that the the pressure they put on quarterbacks is going to make the the safeties possibly look even better this year. So I think that they're a really good duo and um, one that one that is really underrated in the in the league. That is an excellent
0: shout. I really really like Justin Simmons as well. Um, I'm glad you picked him out as as being underrated. It's a name that a lot of people should watch for. Uh, Chris, who are you bringing to the table? Uh,
2: I'm going to go with the Vikings pairing of Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, because I feel like a lot of the safety pairings around the league are improving or getting there. But I feel like um, Smith and Harris are already at the ceiling and that's where everybody else has to be aiming for. Uh, And I'm going to bring pro football focus grades into it again, but I'm going to expand it over a couple of years. So over the last two years as a pairing, they have allowed only two touchdowns and taken away the ball 17 times. And that's what it's all about, right? Turnovers. That's their job. And they're leading the league doing that. Um Harris last year was the league leader in interceptions with nine. Um they're getting plenty of pass deflections, but but talking about the grades, in terms of the last two years, in terms of pass coverage, they're first. In terms of zone coverage, they're first as a pair. In terms of coverage on when there's no pressure at the line, they're first as a pair. Uh, in terms of forcing failed income failed completion race they're first and passer rating allowed they're first so i think you can see from that that they are consistent and pretty dominant as a safety pairing against um whoever they face that they are the real deal they're already there they're already solid they work together well both are good in their own right but as a team Covering their back, covering the back end of the of the field, they they work extremely well, and it's what everybody else is going to have to aim for.
0: They are an absolutely great pair, and, and Harris is another one of those who who not not enough people know of. Uh, he's definitely name people should be looking out for. Um, I'm going to well, go for just, another. Sorry, go. On.
2: Sorry, it just goes to show you. He came in as an undrafted free agent, and and then you think about all the success he's having in that pairing and the difference he's making. It's not always about the the high draft picks.
1: Yeah, I think um, Chris is probably going to win the vote on this one because if I had to pick the best safety duo, they would have been my top pick, but I can win a different direction with it. But yeah, you really can't argue with with the quality and the numbers that the, these two guys have produced for the Vikings.
0: Well, I'm not going to declare Chris the winner just yet because uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about another pairing who I think are absolutely fantastic and yet again not talked about nearly enough. Um, go and watch them. Playing for the Bills, and that's Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Um, and just before I do, I'll definitely pay tribute to a couple of other pairings like McCourty and Chung for the Patriots, uh, Matthew and Thornhill for the, the Chiefs. Thornhill's uh, in his second year now; really, really exciting player. And of course, Adams is now paired with Diggs in Seattle. But uh, Jordan and Poyer, uh, sorry, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde of the Bills—they uh, both joined the franchise in 2017 um and outside of a pro bowl selection for Hyde um they're often forgotten about when discussing the top safety so I'm going to talk about them um the two players are you know a huge reason that the Bills have one of the best secondaries in the league for 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 several years now um the reason that I think I think they work so well together is that, that they complement each other really well they're not the classic uh, one hits hard and one just sort of covers like uh, your Chancellor and Thomas combination. It's a little little more you know uh, it's a little bit more different to that. Hyde is one of the best in man coverage, while Poya performs well in the zone. So you can see how you know together they make you know a, a brilliant tandem in in past coverage um together you know over the last while they've been together they've combined for 19 interceptions six forced fumbles and seven fumbles recoveries which is just uh incredible stats so underrated and not talked about nearly enough they're really really good and and worthy of a couple of votes my way i reckon don't you
2: well as a dolphins fan uh i can say yeah i have enjoyed watching them play i've i they're really good at disguising their coverage. I've seen them confuse Tom Brady, so I really loved that.
1: Yeah, I think the whole, when you're counting the safety due in the the Bills, we could probably say the whole defence in the Bills is is an underrated unit. I I really like watching the the Bills um, play defence in general, and their safeties, along with um, White at cornerback, yeah, they've got a really, really good secondary.
2: And... To give them their due, the one the one that when I was doing the PFF grades earlier, the one that I left off that said the the leading one in the NFL, it's actually Hayden Poyer uh, allow the lowest yards per reception as a safety duo. All
0: right, Definitely. Definitely should be more watched, more talked about uh, one of the top towners in the league. Um, but all worthy adversaries in, uh, in our votes this week. So look out for that on Twitter. Um, Chris, we can't have you on without getting a, an update about Canada and some sad news I hear.
2: Yep, the season has been officially cancelled. This is the first time since 1919 that no team will be presented with the Grey Cup this year. Um, and they, the league kind of went to the federal government and asked for three separate loans in three separate amounts. Uh, it started off at 180 million, went down to 44 million, went down to 30 million. It's it's been very confusing, very. I won't say badly handled, but I I think they could have handled it better, Uh, and the PR's not been great coming out of it. However, and some of the good signs coming out of it now is that it's bringing people together, the the league and the players are sat down talking about a new CBA much better than they were before this happened, Um, and the thing about the CFL is if you've been following it for a few years or you know about its history, it goes through what seems like a a revolving series of crises, but it's a bit like a cockroach. It survives everything. This isn't a league that's, you know, um, like the USFL was around for four years or the XFL was there for a couple of years. It's been around for 63 years, but the Canadian game has been going for over 100 years that the Argonauts, the oldest professional sports team in North America, they, they know how to survive as teams and as a league. It can change and look different and things can happen to it, but it always comes through. So I... I'm going to be optimistic and say that it's going to get into its little cocoon of self-protection and come through this in some way.
0: I, I really hope so for, for everyone's sake. It's very entertaining. It's, uh, it's a ray of hope in, in the NFL's offseason that, uh, that it's on its way back. It's always a sign um, when, when that starts up.
2: Absolutely. it's uh, I, As you know, I love the three-down game. I think it's fast, it's wide open, it's entertaining, exciting to watch. And it's kind of good as well, because for some of the um, players, you need a different type of athlete than you need in the NFL. So it gives opportunities to people who uh, can do different things. Because of the wider field and because of the um, deeper passing game that they have, you need much more um, athletic, rangier safeties and things like that. It gives opportunities to people who who have a different skill set
0: fingers crossed for the Canadian Football League Uh, thanks guys and and thank you for joining us Uh, that's all for this week's show thanks to our guests and good luck to their teams for the season ahead as always we'd love to hear your thoughts and topics we discussed and any feedback you might have you can tweet us at 99yards thanks for listening